2: Each week, we focus on a person, historical event or pop culture moment linked to HIV and explore the story of what actually happened. I'm
3: Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. Our mini-series focuses on people who recklessly transmit HIV. But we need some balance here because we don't want people to be fearful of those living with the virus. There are approximately 37 million HIV positive people in the world and we've featured less than 20. We don't want anyone to be under the illusion that recklessly or intentionally transmitting HIV is commonplace. It's not. HIV medication stops people living with the virus from passing it on to others. We call this being undetectable. And it's one of the reasons that HIV rates are falling and why it's so rare for people to be prosecuted. But when people do appear in court, the media attention often causes fear and stigma. So our series is about setting the record straight. Uh, yeah but
2: don't don't leave the end in. Good job I listened right to the end because you pause and then you go you always know when I'm ready to start big intake of breath and then I have nothing to say welcome to HIV hope and charity HIV and crime edition yeah another crime edition episode four very on the ball today I don't even know what we're discussing i I know exactly what we're discussing I'm very excited. Oh, because I told you last week. Yes, we are. We're looking at Daryl Rowe. How long ago was that case? Um, oh, that's sorry. a massive erm, isn't it? That's the that's the
3: best one yet. Sorry, I was just thinking because in my mind it feels just a couple of years ago, but I I think I seem to think everything is in the you know very recent past, and it is not at all. 2017. This was in court. Okay, so I'm not that far off. That's fine. That's fine. Five years ago. Do you know any other thing that I do have to bring up? Right, when we started doing the podcast, I thought that I had got it wrong, but I don't know if I have or you have in how you say grievous. How you say what? I like GBH. Grievous. But I would say grievous. And I I Googled it and did the the sound thing, and it's oh. Grievous.
2: I don't know. I'm I'm Googling it now.
3: I know. I know, right? Oh, it might
2: be grievous bodily harm. I've always said grievous.
3: So I thought, like you, I thought, oh my goodness, all these years I have misunderstood this word. And obviously when I edit the podcast, I listen to it a lot. And I thought, I need to look this up. So yeah, I just thought I'd mention that.
2: Oh, I think that's my spelling. Let's see if I've put it in this one. No, see, I'm referring to it as GBH now, so... I, didn't I bet if you hadn't said anything, no one would have picked up on that either. We could have got away with that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think that's more the way I type and just add letters in. Look, I'm checking the whole thing now to make sure I haven't got it in here. I think I just got safer up with saying the whole thing. I just put GBH.
3: Well, we're with it now anyway, aren't we? We know. We're like yeah. on board, lots of history. We've done it. Now we all know what GBH means. So yeah, yeah, yeah we don't need to even say the full thing. We've exactly. got yet another acronym, true to form. We love an acronym. So it's only right that we are going just reverting back to that.
2: Yeah, I don't think. Well, we'll see as we go through this one. Okay, are you ready? Always. So we're looking at Daryl Rowe, probably the most famous UK case, widely covered in the press. And one of the reasons that is that rather than being prosecuted for reckless transmission, which I think all the cases we've featured so far have been reckless, I think he's the first person in the UK to be charged with GBH with intent in relation to HIV.
3: Like you're saying, all the other cases were reckless. So he's the first person. Again, another reminder of how this isn't commonplace, right? Yeah, you're right. And we've talked
2: before, haven't we, about how hard it is to prove that someone did something intentionally when you're talking about this. Uh, So as we go through, well, you can make your own mind up about whether it was reckless or intentional, but there were certainly some quite clear indicators for me that, yes, he had every intent to do this.
3: I think it's sad that I didn't even realise that he had—he was the first person that had been done for intentional. I feel like that's something I should know. That's quite a big thing.
2: Yeah, it's a huge thing. It, I mean, it is, it is a huge thing because if you're found guilty of something like that, the sentence can be life imprisonment. So, you know taken very, very seriously. Um, And as I said, we've talked in previous episodes about the difficulty in proving intent because you need to prove motive. So again, we can see if they did prove motive with this case.
3: And what it was, that's what I want to know.
2: Well, let's look at what happened. So we're talking about about Daryl Rowe, 27-year-old hairdresser living in Brighton, 27 at the time, not 27 now, diagnosed with HIV in April 2015 in his home city of Edinburgh. He moved to Brighton shortly afterwards. So initially, doctors feel that he's coping well with his diagnosis, but they became concerned because he refused to be vaccinated for pneumonia, which is offered to everybody living with HIV. And he then refused his HIV meds. And at this point, they warned him of the risks of doing so, the risk to anyone else should he have unprotected sex. He's saying to the doctors, I'm not going to do any of that, just doesn't want to take his meds. Then he fails to turn up for any further clinic appointments in Edinburgh. And it later comes to light that he's moved to Brighton. Okay. So all the signs really isn't there that he
3: isn't handling his HIV diagnosis very well. Well, yeah, absolutely not. If you're just shutting everything out and saying, I don't want to take my meds. And, you know, it does happen. Of course, we do see that happen. Mm. We try and work with people, don't we? Whether it's counselling or speaking with more clinicians or other positive people to try and you know, help somebody come back around to taking the meds would never force somebody but of course it, that's going to help their health yeah exactly
2: so there was no there's no obvious reason for him to move to Brighton he's got no family there he's got no connection to the area but as we know Brighton does have a thriving gay community and whilst he was living there Roe made very good use of Grinder. Which is the online hookup app. So he's taking full advantage of that app to meet other people. Now, the police became interested in him when two complainants came forward with the same allegation that Roe had deliberately tried to infect them with HIV. And Sussex police launched Operation Brick Hill. I love it when the operation has a name. I feel well, like they, we're really part of it. Where do they get the names from? I don't know. I've got no idea. And they've launched this because they want to do a community-wide public health warning in the Brighton area to look for further possible victims. So this is encouraging because these two complainants, you know, the allegations are being taken seriously. The police are starting to build their case. The only way they can do that is to put this out to the public in Brighton to say, has anybody else been affected in this way? So they're kind of starting to piece together the extent of Rose crime. Now he was arrested in February 2016 and in his first police interview he flatly denied that he had HIV and at that stage they don't have enough evidence to kind of take it any further. I mean the ideal would have been if you when know, yeah I, I am HIV positive and then I like, right, kind of got you. But right. No, not admitting guilt at all. So the police again put out a public health warning asking men who had had sex with a man matching Rose's description to contact the authorities. So now they're kind of putting his face out there.
3: That must be quite worrying. Not even just for the people who have slept with Roe, but A, I always think sketches, I'm assuming it was a sketch rather than a photo? Um, I don't know, they don't say didn't they and I feel like if you're putting out a description that's possibly not putting out a photo and lots of people Yeah, I think it was just a description of what he looks like well a you might look like that description or b you probably think you've had sex with someone that looks like that description that may not even be Daryl Rowe so I sort mm. of wonder what kind of panic went like wildfire through the community with that yeah I think it's really difficult for the police isn't it because they know he's at large, he's having
2: an unprotected sex with people. They have a duty to protect the public. But at the same time, they don't want to frighten everybody. And if they're going too hard, then what's Roe going to do next? And in actual fact, what he did was go on the run. So November 2016, he's left Brighton and he's gone on the run up to the northeast of England, Northumberland. Whilst he's up there, he targets two more men, but he's using a fake name. Had his name been put out there yet? Do we know or not? I wouldn't have thought so. It doesn't say whether it was or not. But I imagine that people who've seen his description, people who've slept with him, people who've been affected by this, they know his name, don't they? Yeah. So I imagine they are sharing his name, saying be careful of this person. Yes, that's Um, true. And And that spreads fast when people do that, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So I don't think it was a very well-kept secret, really, even if the police aren't allowed to release his name, because, of course, you know, you can't, indicate that someone's been guilty, is guilty until um they've been well not even after they've been charged after a court case so even if they can't release his name i'm sure the brighton community would have known and that's why he uses a fake name up north but he is finally arrested so the police do a brilliant job in tracking him down considering he's gone the length of the country and when he's arrested he was found with a rucksack of sabotage condoms what are sabotage condoms? well we will find out when we look at the court case obviously they've got him then because they've got kind of the, the proof that he is having unprotected sex and not using condoms properly so he goes to court uh, he's charged and it goes to court uh, it's the first court case of its kind it's never been done before trial lasted 6 weeks and it took place in November 2017 prosecutor's case was that he deliberately infected or attempted to infect a total of 10 men with HIV. It's alleged that he exerted pressure on partners to engage in unprotected sex, and if they refused, he tampered with condoms.
3: Well, that is intentional, isn't it? I mean, I feel like there really isn't any question there that you're not thinking I, exactly it's
2: all planned isn't it so it was alleged he had infected five men he had unprotected sex with and sabotaged the condoms of another five Ten men so yeah 10 men in total but there's more evidence so after sex he sent mocking text messages to some of the men including and i quote i have hiv lol oops and another one and again i quote i'm riddled so there's the intent right there even without a motive that's
3: quite damning I, i'm i'm so shocked Know, it's horrible, isn't it? It's awful. And the, I can't even imagine their their headspace. Like, why would he do this? I know we're gonna to get to that. Sorry. I know I was asked these questions before the point. I just can't get my head around. It's not like you're just oh, going Absolutely, to- yes. Very planned. He he I wants sp- <laughs> to cause harm here. I suppose that's the point of this, isn't it? We're literally saying it's intentional, but it's, it, it is. It's so much planning has gone into this. Right, they won't have unprotected sex, so i tamper with the condoms. Then afterwards, I'm going to message them and mock them. It's unbelievable.
2: It is. Yeah, no, it definitely is. So we've kind of got the intent and the court are uh, uh, hearing that the intent was there, but the court's also got to be sure that Roe did infect these men. So that's the other thing that the prosecution need to prove. So the court heard that one of the complainants had tested negative for HIV on the morning he met Roe. This was in October 2015. And he didn't have sex again before he was diagnosed with the virus two months later. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty damning evidence, isn't it? Yeah, you can't get better proof than that. In a phone call to another partner who had insisted he use a condom, Roe allegedly said, and I quote, I ripped the condom. You're so stupid, you didn't even know. So although this is a verbal testimony, the evidence is is stacking up. Another man had only had one sexual partner before Roe. He considered Roe to be his boyfriend, the court heard. But Roe was very aggressive and abusive towards all his victims. This came out as quite a strong theme through the court case. So in one incident, Roe told an HIV charity worker who was diagnosed after they were involved that... And I quote, moaning would not cure him. So the charity worker had never had unprotected sex and was taking tests every six months. He talked about the news of the diagnosis. Obviously, he works in the sector. He's very aware of, of the need to have protected sex. And he's like, it's like being hit by a bus when this happens. Another victim said he believed Roe was his boyfriend, but that the hairdresser had become increasingly abusive and possessive over the course of the relationship. So initially, when he was diagnosed, Roe looked after him, but then started sending really abusive messages um, and they broke up and the messages are things like you're an effing psychopath you're afraid of your own shadow I can do much better than you I'm way out of your league and then another text said no one will ever love you so he's really malicious um, and wanting to hurt these men really very dark isn't it it is very dark and very upsetting for for all the victims that were involved in this Absolutely. So the court heard several victims were infected with a very similar HIV strain to that carried by Roe, making it highly likely he was the source of the virus. So you've got the science, you've been able to prove that the strains are very similar. You've got text messages and phone calls that are verbally, well, the text messages obviously. A proof in themselves, phone calls that have verbally been relayed in court of things that he said, the fact that he's saying to people that I ripped the condom, you know, you're really stupid. It's all kind of stacking up. I mean, it, undeniably, yeah. So the prosecution, they went strong on this. They described him as a control freak who could shift between being charming and jealous. They also described him as a cruel and callous man. They said, the crimes were akin to stabbing or shooting somebody. So they want the jury to be absolutely crystal clear about the seriousness of this case. And we'll find out why in a minute. The deputy chief prosecutor was interviewed at the time and he said the absolute deliberate infection of other men by a man is not something I've ever come across in 25 years as a prosecutor. And I don't expect to ever come across a case like it again.
3: And I I hope we don't. No, I
2: hope we don't too. But they want everybody to be... Absolutely clear about this is very rare.
3: It's never happened before. So let's look at the defence. I know you have to have a defence, but it's like, what could there possibly be as a defence here? Okay. Well, his lawyers are
2: very much wanting the jury, and it is a jury. It's a crown court trial. Very much wanting the jury who understand that hiv is not a terminal illness so they're quoted in court as saying those that live with hiv have good and high life expectancies there is a need here for therapy not incarceration stop it absolutely yeah so essentially don't put this man in prison you know he's he's sick he needs help i mean i can't believe that would stand up for like what did the um, prosecutor say? They were saying, oh, akin to a stabbing or a shooting. You wouldn't say that if somebody had shot someone in court. Say, so, no, no, no. Not, punishment's not needed here. They just need help.
3: I mean, I have no doubt that he needs help, like anyone would if they also stabbed or shot somebody. There is no doubt that somebody needs support and help there. But I feel like let's come to that a bit later. Yeah, when he's in prison, locked away. Exactly. It doesn't seem like there's any remorse And maybe I'm wrong Maybe we're going to go along And and, and there will be But it doesn't feel like There's any kind of remorse For what's happened And it's just so callous
2: It is. And Ray, he was questioned. Obviously, it's a court case. His defence when he was questioned seemed to hinge on the fact that he didn't think he had HIV. So during his trial, he told jurors he believed he'd been cured of HIV by the time he moved to Brighton. And the reason he believed that he'd been cured is because he'd started drinking his own urine and he believed that was a treatment. And he'd supplemented that with natural remedies, which included oregano, coconut and olive leaf
3: oils. But that's rubbish, because why is he messaging people saying, I've got HIV, lol, oops. You you don't believe you're cured. You, not for a second did he believe he was cured, in my opinion. No, no, I agree. But what a weird thing to say that you that, about how you cured yourself. I've never heard that ever. And we've heard some wild things about people who say, you know, they are HIV disbelievers who just don't even believe it exists and it's not a thing but I've never heard someone drinking their own urine to cure it. And we would not recommend that.
2: No, we should say, shouldn't we? Drinking your own urine, taking oregano, taking coconut or olive leaf oils does not cure you of HIV. No, please just take your meds. Yes, but that's what he told them. So let's look at the verdict. So the court found that the fact that Roe was trying to control his viral load with alternative remedies was not sufficient evidence. Yes, court. They found he'd lied about his status and despite the transient nature of his relationships, his promiscuity was used as evidence of intention to infect. They rejected the submission that the jury should take direction on the distinction between high risk and intentional conduct. So remember, um, his defence don't want the jury to think of HIV as high risk. And the court say, no, we're not going to take that into account. The court also rejected the suggestion to remove the classification of HIV a serious harm again his defense is based on the fact that hiv is a livable condition so you know this is kind of like yes he's done this but there's no real harm done and again the court are being directed don't listen to that don't take that into account i mean i don't know how defense lawyers live with themselves sometimes i think we've talked about this before but uh...
3: again we know everyone is you know entitled to a defence. Of course they are. But I mean, even they must have been in slight disbelief when he was like, so what I want you to put forward is that I drink my own urine and I take oregano. And that's basically cured me, even though I then went around telling everybody I still had HIV. You'd be a bit despairing, wouldn't you, if you are the defence? I am like, right, okay. It would be soul destroying,
2: wouldn't it? Having to stand up and relay this in court. And no matter how you dress it up, I just don't think... Anybody would have been like, yeah, yeah, that's a really strong defence. Yeah. The court also did not seek to approach the policy for non-stigmatisation of those living with HIV as relevant. Again, defence lawyers suggesting HIV is not stigmatised now. Basically, they're trying to trivialise HIV as much as possible. With previous cases, we've talked about the defence wanting as little focus on the intent as possible and as much focus as possible on the fact that although five men had been infected with HIV by the same man, they're saying, it's just not a big deal. Guys,
3: just get over this. Horrendous. It, the victims must have felt how those men must have felt because that's really belittling, isn't it? This huge thing that's happened to you, this, you know, it's- unconsensual thing because you couldn't consent because you didn't know that this person was positive before you had sex with them whether it was protected or unprotected is being belittled by going oh come on guys just you know it's not a big deal it's unbelievable it is and you're right i think we
2: haven't mentioned the victims in this they're all anonymous uh, and the them if they were in court or even if they're following it in the media having to kind of see you know imagine having the guts to take this to the police in the first place and then having to give evidence perhaps having to give evidence at the trial because he's pleading not guilty to all of this um and then hearing the defense just as you say belittling everything that you say and saying oh, it's just not a big deal i don't know why you're bleating on about this oh, really oh. horrible isn't it anyway the jury took note. so a uh, jury consisted of seven women and five men and they returned the verdict after 18 hours of deliberating Is that short? I don't think it's that short. Are you talking about, what, two and a half days, maybe?
3: Oh, okay. So they don't do... I don't know why I thought they'd be in there for 18 solid hours. Oh, maybe... No, they're not. I don't know. No, I'm I'm sure they let let them go home. I'm sure they let them go home. I must let them sleep.
2: (laughs) Otherwise, I don't know. I've never sat on a jury. I would imagine. No, they must go back to because they're not allowed to talk to anyone about the case, are they? Do they go back to their
3: Yes, I think they're holed up in a hotel or something, aren't they? And you all stay there. I don't know, we're just now making things up about juries.
2: Yeah. But 18 again yeah, highlighting our lack of knowledge around the law. But we bear not- with us everyone
3: because HIV uh, and crime we're all over. Yeah, we've got that. It's I just it's whenever we deviate away from the things that we know about. Yes, that's true.
2: Anyway, of After 18 hours of deliberating, uh, either 18 hours straight or perhaps with breaks for sleeping, we don't really know. He was found guilty and sentenced to life with a minimum of 12 years in prison. Now, bear in mind the case of Konzani infecting three women on a lesser charge, got 10 years. I don't think a minimum of 12 years is anywhere near long enough. Why did he get that sentence? It's just not... I know Consani got 10 years, that probably would have been halved, so we'd be putting out in, in five. Yeah, it's just not long. And no, you know we've got uh, listeners over in America So life over there kind of means life, doesn't it? They have yeah. much stricter kind of sentencing guidelines. But over here, life doesn't mean life. It's just that you will go to prison for life, but actually you're only going to do a minimum of 12 years. OK, so that you would think that's the end of it, right? He's been put in prison. No. In May 2018, Roe appeared in court to face more charges, this time in Scotland. He admitted four counts of culpable and reckless conduct at the High Court in Edinburgh and was given an eight-year prison term and placed on the Sex Offenders Register for Life.
3: So does that sentence that he's doing in England, is it separate, the one in Scotland, right? Because we're two different countries. Yes,
2: I know what you mean. Was it um, concurrent or was it consecutive? I couldn't find out. I would... Hope that because it's in a different country, because Scotland doesn't have the same laws as we do in England and Wales, that it would be consecutive. But
3: I don't know. You hope so, wouldn't you? I really hope so. But I'm glad he went on the sex offenders register because it, I guess we didn't do that here. No. It's a no brainer, really, isn't
2: it? Of course he should go on the sex offenders register and he's on there for life, which is good. So is that the end of Ray's case? No. He appealed because it's just all so unfair for him. So the appeal was for the case in England. It was heard at the Court of Appeal in London in November 2018, but it was very swiftly turned down. So the defence stance was that he should never have been sentenced because there's no case to answer. <laughs> what are they talking about? You're joking. No.
3: How would you even begin to to put forward any sort of evidence to say there is no case to answer? Well, the judges ruled the grounds presented on his behalf to challenge against his
2: conviction were, and I quote, unarguable. So Lady Justice Hallis, Hallett also said Ray's application relating to his sentence was unarguable. Now in law speak, that as you know, you did law A-level, that's quite blunt. Because as we've seen in previous cases, the law is open to interpretation. Lawyers are skilled at finding loopholes or interpretations of the law to suit their client. It's what they're paid to do, isn't it? So when a judge says an, un- an appeal is unarguable, that's quite rare. She also went on to say there was no merit in the bold submissions made on Ray's behalf. Again, blunt. It's court speak
3: really for, are you seriously expecting us to consider this? You're not just like taking a punt, I guess. He must have thought that, I mean, is that what he truly believes? That there was no case to answer? I'd love to know that. I don't know. You'd love to know what the defence lawyers were thinking in, in
2: doing this. Were they just following His instruction. And I think, well, he's the client and he has the right to kind of decide how we move this forward. But then they must have done it knowing that it would never have got through the court of appeal. That's
3: the thing, isn't it? Why would you, if you were that lawyer, wouldn't you be saying to somebody, this is just not gonna fly whatsoever? Hmm. But I suppose you're right, if someone's insistent that they and like you're saying, you can, I'm assuming, well, can they refuse? Can a lawyer refuse? No, I
2: think they have to hear the appeal. Everyone has the right to appeal, don't they? Even if it's based on Silly things like this, but I think that they've gone as far as they can in saying no. This isn't this isn't going to happen. There's no basis for an appeal here. Evidence against him was really strong in the first place. Just do your sentence. So now we mentioned the victims. So in our sources, we've included a, a newspaper article from one of the victims. So all the victims were granted anonymity by the court. One of them wavered that right because he felt the media was so focused on Roe and that the victim impact wasn't being highlighted enough because they're all anonymous. So that's why we've included it in our sources um, so that people can read about how it affected him and the other men that were infected with HIV.
3: And I think he's so right, because like we said before this, I only know about Daryl Rowe. I knew he came from Brighton, that he was a hairdresser, that there was, um, you know, transmission and he had gone to prison. But yeah, I don't remember hearing about any of the victims or the impact it had on them or the effect on their lives. The newspapers did not focus on that. I know. But there
2: you go, we've come to the end of the case of Daryl Rowe.
3: That was quite a journey, wasn't it? It was a really shocking (laughs) journey that... I just kind of can't quite believe some of it. I mean, I can totally see how they proved intention. That is clear. But I think I'm more shocked. And the reason I'm saying it was a bit of a crazy journey because of the things he came back and said, his Mm defence and then his attempt at an appeal,
2: which again, I mean, that's more stress for the victims, isn't it? Imagine thinking, yes, he has been convicted. He's in prison. Everybody's safe now. try and come to terms with what happened and try and move on and then hear that he's appealing his sentence and then thinking I've got to go through it all again because his sentence might be reduced or they might waver the the sentence altogether which was definitely never going to happen it's just more stress for the victims
3: and did we ever learn why why he did he ever give any indication no so we'll never know why he did this No, he's never said why,
2: other than he truly believed he didn't have HIV and he was fine to go off and kind of have sex with everybody. And I think that's probably the hardest thing to take, isn't it? You know, the prosecution had said he is a callous man and he is quite malicious. And I think, yeah, he absolutely is. Nobody really understands where his head was at when he was doing all of this. But it was very planned, you know, moving from Edinburgh to Brighton. Sleeping with lots of men, wanting to cause the most harm that you can by telling them afterwards you've got HIV or that you've torn the condom, and putting them down as well, telling them you know how awful they are. He can do much better than them. You know he's got a real grudge yeah. against men who have sex with men. And then when he realises that the the police are on to him, he goes up to up north to Northumberland, does the same up there. God, I think um, I don't even know what I was going to say then.
3: <laughs> because you're just so shell shocked. Me too. <laughs> It's like, why? Well, thank you. I'm literally, like I said, can we just do crime forever? No, no. Agreed. We can't because it would be less special, but. Well, not just that. There aren't that many cases that we could cover. So we've that's done really the most
2: prominent actually. ones, but it's like we've said before, it's not, this is not commonplace, which is why it makes it so interesting. But yeah, I think we'd run out of, uh, I suppose we could go around the world. In fact, we are going to go around the world in a couple of weeks. And next week's episode, we're going to look at another case that was quite prominently featured in the the media but we're looking at it from the police point of view what did the police have to do to bring this person to court this is so fascinating
3: I think it's really useful for us as well actually just working in the industry that we do like we've said people ask us all the time about reckless transmission and actually I've heard other service users mention Daryl Rowe now I can actually tell them the story well or just tell them to come and listen to the podcast yeah let's just do that Like Now sit down, everybody. Have you got half an hour?
2: Like story time when you're at nursery. Everyone sit down cross-legged.
3: Listen to this. Yes, definitely. But yeah, amazing job. And I cannot wait to see you next week to do this all over again. Well, I cannot wait to see you either. Thanks for listening to the HIV podcast.
2: If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts.
3: You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and video. Hold
0: up.